Okay, I'm going to move quite quickly and I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but I want to reveal something that, that I was actually, and this happens a lot, but I was actually blown away by the way that God revealed something to me in this. He revealed a, a, a picture of something. I, I was praying during the week and that tired thing is for me too. I've been extraordinarily busy and I don't know how to fix it, if I'm honest. And I think that's for the lot of us. You know, it's, it's I don't want to be there, but it's just, I'm there. You know? And I've, I've said to God, God, how do I stop this? You know, I want to go back to being able to, to not be like this, but I don't have an answer for you. Maybe it's just a season or a time or in, but I know for a lot of you that I've spoken to, the question is, how are you? And it's, well, I'm good. How's, how's things going? Well, I'm busy. And I know it's not the answer we want to have, but it's just sometimes the answer that we're at. And I was, I was exhausted Thursday afternoon about 3 o'clock and I decided I was just going to lay on the, the old couch and take a little snooze. And um, I was praying and I said to God, I, I, I have nothing to bring on Sunday. I have nothing. You know, and, and I feel it, that makes me anxious if it's a, a word because I, I like to prepare. I like to have a few days to, to take a lot of time preparing. And I felt God say to me, um, go to John 3.16. And I wrestled with God and I said, Lord, I'm not preaching from John 3.16. He said, go to John 3.16. I said, no, I'm going to have a lay down. And then when I wake up, I'll readdress John 3.16. Because I could barely keep my eyes open at my desk. I go to lay down, I put my head on the pillow and I was like wide awake like could not sleep awake. And I thought, oh, okay, look, I'll go to John 3.16. And in that time, I was just reading and praying and God took me on a journey and I ended up not in John 3.16 and I, I didn't feel like he was asking me to preach from John 3.16. I, I read the, the little numbers that lead you to the, the bottom part and then they lead you somewhere else. And I ended up bouncing all over the Bible. And lo and behold, I didn't get a nap and I just continued on. But I was strengthened and I wasn't tired after I saw this. So God took me to, to, to Matthew 3. Well, I believe I believe God took me to Matthew 3. I don't want to take us on this place where I'm saying, thus saith the Lord. But I feel like God is, is breathing on something here. And it's in this season of tiredness. But it's when John the Baptist, he, he's preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus has come. And, and a lot of stuff has taken place. You can go forward and read as to where. But it gets to John 3.16. And John is preparing Jesus to begin his ministry, to come and, and be brought into to the place where he can then start and, and carry this authority, right? So it comes through. We're going to go to John 3.13. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Matthew 3.13. John the Baptist. But Matthew 3.13. It says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. There's an interesting take in the Gospel of John 
uh, John the disciple, he, he recounts this by John the Baptist saying in John 1 to 29, too many Johns, but you get where I'm going. He says this, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So before John the baptizer baptizes Jesus, Jesus comes before him and he declares in front of all those there, behold, here comes the Lamb who will take away all of the sins of the world. Then Jesus gets baptized. He goes down to the water. He comes up. And when he comes up, the heavens open and they hear a voice that says, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. You have to understand the context of what's taking place here. In the Jewish teaching to become a rabbi, you had to go through a number of different schools to, um, to be precise. And they, they would teach you the ways of a rabbi. But a rabbi could only teach what he was taught by the rabbi before him. So a disciple would sit with a rabbi and they would learn the Torah, they would learn the scriptures from the rabbi that they had before them. When they then went to teach themselves as a rabbi, they would teach what they learned. They weren't allowed to interpret the scripture themselves. Does that make sense? So what we have in our day is, well, I read the scripture and this is what I think it's saying. Right? We, we interpret it ourselves. But the rabbis were not allowed to do that. They had to teach the interpretation based on the rabbi that was before them. It was called the yoke. Right? Unless a rabbi had something called semika, which is a Jewish word meaning authority. And the only way a rabbi could get authority is if two or more rabbis, right, the authority, would speak publicly to say he is a rabbi who now carries authority. Does this make sense? Give me a small head nod. Because it's gonna take it's gonna lead us to where we need to go. So Jesus comes before, he's been trained and equipped as a teacher, as a rabbi, and he comes to be baptized, and he needs two witnesses. He needs two witnesses in order to give him authority. He comes forth, John, this is the lamb who is to be slain. Witness number one, he gets baptized, he comes out of the water, the heavens part, and the God the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Authority number two. So Jesus now carries, he's a, he is a rabbi who now carries Semika, which is the authority to interpret the scripture. Why is it important? Because all the way through the scriptures, we see Jesus interpret the Torah in a very different way. Remember the lady? She comes and she's caught in adultery. And Jesus writes something in the sand. And he says, those of you who have sin in your life, you can throw the first stone. How was he able to do that? Because he carried authority as a rabbi to interpret the scripture. Okay, to interpret the yoke, to interpret what it was that he was bringing before the people. So when Jesus says and he comes and he says, it's not about, what you, it's, it's not about the law, it's about what you hold in your heart. How can he do that? Authority. Because he was a rabbi who carried an, an ability to interpret the scriptures through what? The kingdom lens, not the worldly lens. Does that make sense? Okay. So then Jesus, we see he gets baptized. He's given the authority. He then goes into the wilderness. He gets tempted, which is a phenomenal passage of scripture in its own long sermon. But it's not where we're going today. So Jesus baptized. Then he gets led into the, the wilderness and he gets tempted. Then we come to, to uh, Matthew 4, verse 12. 
And it says, now when he heard that John had been arrested, John the Baptist has now been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that he, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then it gives you a snippet there, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee to the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death. On them a light has dawned. But the interesting thing about that is if you go to that verse in Isaiah that he's talking about there, so it says the prophet Isaiah that Jesus may fulfill. So Jesus has been baptized, he's gone in the wilderness. Now he thinks, I need to go and fulfill the prophecy given by Isaiah. The prophecy is in Isaiah 9. I'll wait for Kat to get there. You there? Beautiful. And it says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt of the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. Then rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle to mold and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Who's the one who's called Prince of Peace? Jesus. So Jesus realizes that there is a, a prophecy put forth by Isaiah he comes up out of the water of baptism. He gets given the authority. He gets led into the wilderness. And then he comes to the place where he says, I'm going to go and fulfill the thing that Isaiah said a long time ago. And what he fulfills to me, which is so incredible, is this, that there will be a multiplication in the nations. There will be increased joy. There will be joy at the harvest time. That every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, every garment that's been rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. What Isaiah is saying here is that there will come a time where your suffering, your suffering will be fuel for the fire under Christ. That when we enter into suffering, it's because he will redeem and it will be poured out on the fire to watch the kingdom come deeper and deeper and deeper. What Christ was doing in this very moment was he was revealing that me, Jesus, will be the one who comes to redeem the brokenness of the nations, will be the one who comes to redeem the lost and the brokenhearted. After he does this, 
after he does this, right, he explains, I am the prophecy in Isaiah, me, Jesus Christ. He reveals what I think is the most important thing Jesus says in his ministry. I know it's a big call, but at the moment, that's how I feel. He says this in uh, Matthew 4, verse uh, 17. From that time, so Jesus has been in the land. He's declared that he is the one from the prophecy of Isaiah. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One of the first declarations that Jesus made, makes in his ministry is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is not saying, repent, because one day you'll get to go to heaven. Repent, because hopefully you'll make it through this horrible, terrible life, and then you'll come into glory. He's saying, repent, because what I've done has been done now, and it's right before you. Off the back of the prophecy from Isaiah, which says that all of our pain and toil, all of our heartache and hurt, will be fueled to the fire that sees the kingdom expand. Then he comes and he says, repent for my kingdom. My kingdom, the kingdom of my father, is right here before you at your hands. See, what we've done is we've shifted this almost into this, I don't have a better way to say it, so I'll just say it how I think it is. I, I think we've shifted into this pagan idea of worship, this distant God, and hopefully, hopefully one day we will enter into his place. That's what the Vikings did. I was Valhalla, right? Worship, and hopefully you'll do enough. Now we change a little bit by saying that you, you can have it as soon as you agree with Jesus, then you're in. Now ride out the next 80 years of pain and suffering and then you'll come into the fullness of the kingdom. That's great, except for that's not what Jesus teaches. He says, repent and come right now. Do you know who I am? I'm the, I'm the prophecy from Isaiah. I'm the child that's been born. I'm the one that's coming to take away the pains and the sins of the world. You just heard it from John. I'm the slam that'll be slain. You heard it from the Father, the Son, in whom he's well pleased. Now listen to me. Take what I have before you in my hand and I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. It's before you, but you have to take it. So then obviously as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm no longer tired anymore. I'm pumped on Mountain Dew. And I'm reading and I'm saying, God, what next? What next? And then you come down, right? Jesus calls his first disciples and he goes and he calls them. He says, come, follow me. And they do. And then you get to, to, to uh, Matthew 5 and you're like, Whoo, the Sermon on the Mount. You start rubbing your hands together. This is going to be great. Jesus is coming before the people to bring his beautiful new way, right? Because he carries Samika, the authority. He's going to reveal the new way. The Messiah has come. He's fulfilled the, prophet, the, the prophecy in Isaiah. He's bringing the new plan and pattern to go and sack Rome, to take the kingdom. The Israelites will be the powerful people that will come and push back all the other nations. That's what Isaiah was saying. Here it is. He's about to do it. Jesus looks out over his, his disciples. There's a few of them, but he realizes there's a massive crowd gathering. So he goes up a mountain to be able to speak to the crowd. It's like the first mega church right there. He just, he's, he's got all these people all here to hear the strong words of the Messiah, the new king. And he opens with this. He opens his mouth and he teaches them. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So, uh, for so they are persecuted, the prophets who were before you. So you could just imagine the crowds like, ah, uh, ah, uh, this is not what we were here for. Imagine that, that one guy like dragged his friend along. Come on, come on. It's going to be worth it. The Messiah, man, the king. Come on, come listen to him. He's like, all right. And he's just looking at him and hitting him. The meek. We have to be okay when they persecute us? Bro, you said this was going to be good. You said this guy was going to bring us into all new. You said this guy was going to help us overthrow and take back the kingdom that we've lost. We're a broken people. We're getting trampled left, right and center. You said this guy was going to bring us out. And the friends are sitting there. No, no, he's going to say something good here. He's going to say something good. And then Jesus continues in 5.13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so hang on. I've got to be able to be persecuted because that'll be good for me. I've got to be meek. I've got to be mild. I've got to, I've got to love those around me. I've got to be okay when they persecute me. And then my job is to go out and teach those who hate me about you. By the position that Jesus was given to be the mighty Messiah, the king they had dreamed about, they had talked about for generations upon generations, what Jesus presents here is not the most exciting, glorious, powerful message that gives them the courage to run out and start winning souls for Christ. What Jesus presents on the Sermon of the Mount is come to me in your humility and I will strengthen you into your victory. Come to me in your humility and I will strengthen you in your victory. So you could imagine that there's not this in, in, incredibly encouraging place that now all the, the Jews walk away feeling amazed and powerful. They'd walk away feeling a little bit more defeated. And that was what I thought when I was reading it. You keep reading through all the different things, all the different things that Jesus reteaches, he re-explains. He, he goes back through and he teaches them about lust and divorce and oaths. He, he, he reteaches how to love your enemy, the, the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus operating now in his authority to teach the Torah through his lens, through his understanding of kingdom. And then you get to chapter 7. 28, which is the end, it seems. 
of his Sermon on the Mount, the end of the things that he's been, pro- he's been projecting to them. And it finishes with this, chapter 7, verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What they picked up in the sermon from Christ was that he is the one in whom he says he is. So at times for us when it doesn't make any sense, at times for us when we get to the place where we go, God, what are you doing? He says, trust me. I'm the one who has authority. I'm the one who carries a lens into the kingdom that you quite don't understand. Your world is one way and the kingdom is the other. And I know what the kingdom looks like. What looks to the people like a broken message of struggle turns out to be an astonishing understanding of the one who was giving it. What they saw on that mountaintop, what they saw in in Jesus' message was the power in which he carried. And I say all this to get us to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 25. Because there's a part of the prophecy in Isaiah that gets touched on, that Jesus reiterates in Matthew 11, 25. It says this, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It says that he revealed the things not to the wise, but to the children. Why? Because it's not in our wisdom that we understand the plan and pattern of Christ. When we try to operate from our own wisdom, from our own smarts, from what we've drawn up, from what we've understood, God says, you've missed who I am. But what happens in a child is that a child will believe their father regardless of what he says. The most ridiculous thing a father can explain to a child. And he will believe it. Because there's this faith, there's this unity, there's this tying to my dad would never ever lead me astray. And then we teach them about Santa Claus and they have to realize it's a dirty big lie, right? But my father would never lead me astray. So when you ask, yeah, but my dad said that it was this way. So it must be that way. That's what Jesus, he's not saying, don't be wise in him. He's saying, do not operate from me in your own wisdom. Let me reveal my heart to you. And then he goes on to say, no one knows the son and no one knows the father, except the son knows the father and the father knows the son. That's why it's so important that when we get saved, we go into the son. Why? Because it's him who knows the father and us being in him allows us to see the father. 
That's why Jesus says, no one can come to the Father except through me. He brings us into the relationship he has with the Father. He calls us in. But that place where he says, put on my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to show you something. All right, Katrindeth, give us picture number one. This is a yoke. And a yoke understood in the dictionary is a bar or frame that is attached to the heads or necks of two work animals, such as oxen or cows, so that they can pull a plow or a heavy load. So what happens is one cow's head goes on one side, another cow's head goes on the other side, and there's a, a, a rope or a chain, depending on how early or what it was, that was attached to a plow or a cart. And what would happen is that they would then be able to pull the plow or the cart through the field and plow up the ground or carry whatever it is heavy was that they were trying to carry. So they would put two bulls, two bulls, but the bulls had to be of the same strength and size. But they were a little bit clever in the way that they designed how to do this was that they would put two bulls of a similar cow, similar size and strength, but one was always older and wiser and the other was younger and not as wise. Why? Because the older one would teach and train the younger one as they pulled the cart or they pulled the plow through the field. But if one was bigger than the other one, it would mean that they were unevenly yoked and it would pull the cart to one side and it wouldn't plow straight. But the understanding of the same size but different knowledge of what the work was they were doing was imperative when ploughing. Like a farmer teaching farm things. Next photo, please, Scott. This is what it would look like. Right? So two cows would be put together with a yoke over their shoulders and they would pull the plough through. This was not easy work for the, for the, the plough or the cows, right? So when Jesus says, put my yoke on, it's almost like an, because it's easy and it's light, it's almost an oxymoron because the plough was heavy but when a plough was fitted right, it didn't hurt the cow. It allowed the cow to feel like it was achieving the task. Does that make sense? So when we look at this and Jesus says, put on my yoke, put on my yoke. He's saying, let me come with you and do the work that you're supposed to do. He says, my burden is easy. What is the burden? The burden for us is everything that we navigate through in our daily life. The burden in this picture is the field or the work we're set out to do. See, every one of us has a calling. Every one of us has a job to do in Christ, a scroll to fulfill. For us, that's our burden. It's who are we at the end of, what have we achieved at the end of our life? What is the work that we've accomplished that, that, that the Father says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the burden. That's before us. That's the field God's asking us to plow. But our Father is so incredible. The way God designed it is so amazing. As he says, He says, Willem, I have a burden for you. I have a field for you to plow. But He says, I'm not going to let you do it on your own. I want you to come with me. You see, a yoke with only one cow can't pull the load that's meant to be pulled. Every yoke takes two cows. And Jesus, in our instance as Christians, as followers of him, says, I will be the first cow, the smarter, 
more knowledgeable cow. But I want you to be the second cow. The sillier, more don't know what we're doing cow. And as you allow me to pull with you, as allow as you allow me to come alongside, I will hope, help ease the burden that I've given you. I will help plow the field and allow your life to plant fruit. But the trouble here is that we yoke ourselves to something else. We allow something else to fill the other side of our yoke and we wonder why we can't achieve what God's asking us to achieve or fulfill where God's asking us to fulfill. We look over at our yoke and there's something else in that thing. There's something else that holds that place. Our husband or our wife, our family, our work, our jobs, our hobbies, a drug, alcohol, whatever it is we put in the other side of the yoke. God is asking us to plow the field with him. Jesus is saying the yoke that I have is lighter and the burden that I'm giving you is easier than any other yoke or burden you can partake. And he's asking us in this time, will you come with me? Will you come and let me work alongside you? 1 Corinthians 3.9, Paul explains that we are God's fellow workers. It says you are God's field, God's building. He uses the exact same language. We all have a field that we are plowing. We are all managing a life. And when we get to be 100 years old and in our last years and we look back over at our field, we go, what have we plowed? What have we planted? What's producing fruit? And I promise you, if Jesus is in that yoke, if he is the other cow that you are pulling with, you will, you will plow a field and you will plant something amazing. But if you've given that yoke to something else, if you've tied yourself to something else, you need to break that and ask Jesus to come and take that position once again. See, we think that in our Christian walk, once we get saved, it, we, we, he, he locks in there and we're just doing the best we can. But this is a constant going back to, a constant reminder. Where are we walking? What are we doing? Who is with us? Who's alongside of us? This is not about are we saved or not saved. This is about how are you achieving what God has given us to achieve in this moment. So when I ask myself, Ben, what are you yoked to? In an area of my life that's struggling, Ben, what have you yoked yourself to? If I'm tired all the time, Ben, what have you yoked yourself to? See, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. But if I feel heavy and laden, if I feel tired and, and overwhelmed, I have to look and say, what is going on? What have I yoked myself to in this time? If I'm constantly in unrest, if I'm constantly in wrestle, if I'm constantly in battle, I've got to sit before him in that quiet place we experienced this morning and say, God, what have I yoked myself to? And let me unyoke myself. Let me, we've heard the saying, kill the dead cow, kill the old cow. Is that the same? Oh, it is now. Someone write that down. It's a new, it's a new saying. Anyway, I don't know what that saying is, but it will kill the dead cow. 
I had Instagram, I could take a photo and then put that up there as my hashtag. Does this make sense? See, when we have to ask ourselves this tough question, what Jesus is saying to us in this moment is who have you put alongside you? Who have you yoked yourself to? We see this example all through the Scriptures. All through the Scriptures. That there's this moment, there's this, this, this leaning with time, there's this dancing that we do. The Bible uses a fancy word called a paracresis. Paracresis. It means to dance. And Jesus is saying, will you come? Will you dance with me? Will you allow me to be your partner? And it sounds so cliche, right? It sounds, so, it sounds like what you, would, what you would teach to a, um, a youth group. Who are you dating, right? Are you dating Jesus? You need to date Jesus. And you do. You do need to date Jesus. It's really that simple. But it's almost like when Jesus is speaking to the grown-ups, he gives them a grown-up picture. Will you be a cow with me? Will you be a cow with me? the lesser, sillier cow. Will you yoke yourself to me? Will you take my burden, my yoke? You see, because the other picture of a yoke that gets used is the, the staff in which a shepherd would carry. And the staff in which a shepherd would carry also gets called a yoke. And what that yoke does, what the, the reason it had a hook on it, the staff, was so that they could grab the sheep by the neck and give it the old back into line from time to time. It was so that if a sheep was, was starting to wander astray, it could get the hook and just bring it back into line. See, sometimes for some of us, we need the old back into line. We need the old yank back into where he's leading us. And that's not a bad thing. It wasn't like it hurt the sheep. It was something that just pulled it back. But it's the same picture with the cow saying, I'm leading you, follow me. I'm leading you, follow me. What happens is that we tend to want to take over. We want to pull left or pull right. And God says, all right, it's not going to be good for you, but I'll let you go. All right, are you sure? I love the prodigal son, the father. I think we sh there would, would have been more dialogue, I like to think, in my head with the father going, are you sure? Yeah, I want to do it. It's not going to be good. I want to do it. Yeah, but my boy, it's, it's, I want to do it. And the father starts to break, but it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not going to be good for you. Dad, I want to do it. Okay, here it is. See, we have to start to understand that God is calling us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. And there's a field to be plowed. Unfortunately, we don't get to buy the house and the water and kick back and retire for the rest of our lives. That God has called us to something greater than ourselves. He's called us to something. There's a field to be plowed. And there is a joy. There is a joy in it. There will be blood spilled. There will be challenging times. There will be sacrifice. There will be heartache. There will be pain and suffering. But as that verse in Isaiah says, but it's all fuel to the fire. It's all fuel to the fire. Sometimes in my prayer times, I, I do a bit of a David and I just give it, God, what are you doing? 
Why is this hurting? Why is this so hard? And then I read that verse and I saw how it's all fuel to the fire for the kingdom of God to be advanced. And when we stand in that position, we say, Lord, your kingdom is worth everything I have. I will yoke myself to you. Let me plow the field. There's so many analogies you can keep going. The ox gets to eat the grain. There's spoils. There's, there's exciting things. There's, there's stuff that comes along. There's no doubt there, but I'm still plowing a field. We eat the grain, but we plow the field. We enjoy the times next to, the, next to Christ, but we plow the field. So when I look back over the field, I can see what's being planted. Does that make sense? Why don't you stand? And let's just pray. I want to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask that there's an authority that God gives to an elder in a house like what we're building here. And I believe that God has given Jess and I an authority spiritually to speak in and to break some of these things off. So I want to invite you, if you'd like to come forward, to come forward. But I also don't feel that you have to do that if you don't want to. I understand the pressure in that. I understand where it can, can be a little bit awkward. But there's something that happens in that stepping out to say, I actually want to come into this. But at the same time, if you don't feel comfortable to do that, at the same time, when we finish the prayer, we're going to say a fancy word. The fancy word is amen. And what that word means is to establish it in my life to make it so. When you say amen at the end of a prayer, you are agreeing and establishing what the person praying has just said. Does that make sense? So when you say amen, don't just say it. Agree with the prayer and allow it to be established in your life. But if there is something you feel that you have yoked yourself to, we're going to break that right now. So if you'd like to come forward, you can do that. If it gets a little rowdy, that's okay. We're just going to work through it. But we're going to break it here this morning. If you're struggling with anything, if there's something on your life that's burdensome, if there is something that is, that is causing you anguish and causing you pain and you don't know what's going on, then we're going to ask Jesus to come and to remove that thing and for him to take his place and for us to put on his yoke. So God, we come before you right now, Jesus. Lord, we open our hands. Jesus, we command That whatever it is that's moving in people's lives right now be broken in your beautiful name. That Jesus, on that cross, Lord, on that cross, you bought for us the freedom to come into you, to be hidden in you. Your blood paid for the wholeness in our bodies. God, that when you put that crown of thorns on, when you placed that thing on your head, you were declaring that no longer can the enemy take hold of our thoughts. 
take hold of the way we see things, take hold of the way that we hear and understand things, Lord, that you are silencing that voice in your name, Jesus. So right now, I command any voice that's speaking that's not of him to be silenced in Jesus' name. You have no place, you have no foothold, you have no hold over anyone who is standing here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would start to reveal in our lives the areas that we have yoked ourselves to something else. God, whatever that thing is, distrust, disunity, drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever pain and suffering that we're continually walking with, what's allowing to to lead us and guide us as we plow the field of our life. God, I ask right now in your name, through the authority that you've given us, that that thing be removed in Jesus' name. God, right now we stand in this place and we say yes to your yoke. Jesus, right now in this place we stand and we say yes to your burden. God, let us be the younger cow. Lord, lead us, guide us. Let us seek you first. Let us ask for your heart in every area of our life, in every position and place that we stand, Lord, may our eyes first be affixed on you to see the step in which you've given us. God, I pray right now that running through people's hearts the things in their life that they want to give over to you, that right now people are seeing things, pains, hurts, Things have held on to lies from the past. Those things that are jumping to your mind right now, those things that have been hurting and been holding on. Right now, I just want you to say, even if it's quietly, Lord, I give this to you. Lord, I will not yoke myself to this anymore. Jesus, I yoke myself to you. Father, I thank you. Lord, I pray this morning that anything that I've said that's not of you may fall away. But Jesus, the things you want to reveal to us this morning, may they plant deep in our hearts. May they grow. May we be able to eat of the fruit that you've put in us, Lord. I thank you for who you are. You glorious, glorious King. Worthy are you and holy are you. I declare your kingship in this house. I declare your kingship in this city. I declare your kingship in this nation. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, God. We love you and we honor you. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.